a global health crisis, increasing financial pressure, trauma, work pressure, parenting, hustle culture, racism, sexism, gender-based violence, grief. We are living through what may be the most difficult time we have ever known. And every day, we see and feel the toll it's taking on us grow heavier and more painful. How do we make it to the other side? Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sile Bolani. Joining me for today's conversation is Bongega Ndandani, a spiritual psychologist who is practicing as a mental health specialist, life and relationship coach, motivational speaker, MC and businesswoman. Bongega, thank you so much for joining me on The Workplace Revolution. Hi Sile, how are you? I am hanging in there. How are you? There's no other way. There's no other way. Mm, absolutely. I'm just making it forward, taking it a day at a time. Absolutely. That's all we can do. Honestly, at this point, I feel like I'm taking it one hour at a time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Trust me. I know exactly what you mean. I've been there in the past four months. Mm, mm. So before we get into our conversation, won't you just talk us through a bit of your professional journey and what has kind of led you into the space of, you know, working with or being a, a support resource for mental health um, and life and relationship coaching? Uh, basically, let me just give people a background as to who Bongega is. Bongega is, was born in Eastern Cape, a place called Batworth. Um, I'm first born from my mother and second born in my father's side. I'm a rural girl, a typical rural girl who was raised with boys. Obvious, when you're raised with boys, you have to grow a thick skin. So as a child, you always note and notice that there are, there are certain things about you which are odd, weird, creepy at times, but I tried my level best to fit in as much as I could. and. Academically, I made it a point that I don't find myself having to be the center of attention because I cannot achieve. So what I did, I made it a point wherever I am, I lead the, the, the crew because I don't want to find myself in situations where I don't even know where I'm going. So I grew up in that background being raised by four grannies because my mother left well, and most likely I was baby three years old. But by the time I became aware of my surroundings, my mother was no longer in her marriage. So having been raised from my mother's side and my father's side, back and forth and all that, eventually it got to a point where now one is in high school, obviously in high school, you start noticing yourself as a woman. Unfortunately, I got pregnant at 15, had a child at 16. I would just, I wouldn't say the worst experience of my life, but Looking back now, I'm grateful because I'm in a position where I can use that part of my life as a lesson for someone else and the youth at this point in time. So with this now foundation of being a mother at 16, obvious priorities change and your view of life changes because the moment you are a mother and you are no longer a child, there are certain instincts which show up from your side as a human being. So. By the time I, I finished high school, my view of life was different from my peers. Because that, the other thing with me, Sita, was that I'm from a background where I always knew that there's something. But now, I, I never fitted with my age mates. I was always with older girls. That is why I got pregnant at 15. 
So now, long story short, after metric, I went to Topek, did a one diploma in personnel and PR. And then after that, unfortunately, there were no funds to do anything further. I joined the insurance industry. I started working at 20. And then I spent about six years in that space, ventured into advertising sales. And then I was like, okay, I think now I'm tired. I need an office bound thing. So in between these, job and, and, and I made it a point that at some degree, I, at least I empower myself. So as time was continuing, I could sense that there was something, that thing I felt when I was a child, which I couldn't identify or relate with, was slowly making itself back and surfacing, now wanting attention. And you know us as deaf people, but our spirituality, which at times becomes the focal point of who we are. And then at the age of 25, I discovered that I have a calling. I'm a church. And then by that time, I'm trying to figure out who Bongega is and who Bongega is as a church girl. So in that space, I had to pray, I had to fast. Eventually, I, I would say I got a connection and then I started talking to the church leaders and then I started training and practicing within the church structures. But one thing that stood out was that throughout that time, there was something about me which was led to broken people. And as I connected with broken people, I realized that as I was the, being the source of their healing, I was also ad addressing my own childhood scars, which were when I later identified with the abandonment and rejection and neglect. So as I was communing and helping and joining with these people within the church structures, I realized that this is bigger than me. This is not something that can be confined in walls, but now how do I venture into it? How do I allow it to grow and blossom to what it is? So other people are, are being called to be traditional healers. That is when now the breakaway point happens, that I need to sit down and listen as to what is it that I'm being given? What is it God that wants, the purpose that God has instilled in me and wants to give to the people? That is where now, I discovered that my calling is deeper than just the church building, and then I left the church. As I was journeying towards now learning who Bongega is and connecting with the woman who was was was, was banished from herself at a young age, because as you know, from our homes, we normally reminded that you are a girl child, you are a boy child, you are this, you are that. So you are often boxed and suppressed and compressed so much that when that part of you as an adult shows up, you battle to relate because there's this part of you that is that constantly reminds you that you are a child, you are a girl. So I had to battle with that. And as I was dealing now with my abandonment, rejection and neglect, at a deeper sense, looking at the scars as to where do they come from, then looking at my mother's background, her mother's background, my great-grandmother's background. So that family history kind of gave me an insight and led me led to my curiosity in studying how our African families are structured and the impact of absent parents, parents and present parents and the, that environment in general as to holistically, who are we? And if we say now, we look at someone's behavior, why are people behaving the way they behave in? And then I started noticing that people don't behave the way they behave because they want to. It's some form of a communication, but indirectly. So now I started mastering my craft and later, as I was digging and digging for more, it was revealed to me that, Sissy, you are not a prophetess, you are not an apostle, you are a spiritual psychologist. 
Sister, trust me, when the revelation came, I went straight to Google to check it out, what is that? Because I've never heard of something like that. I know of a clinical psychologist, I know of a psychiatrist. The moment I read from the link I clicked, I, I was in tears. I'm like, no wonder I felt so absent from myself because this is what I've been running away from. So now the society, the religion and other things around me chased me away from this person whom I was meant to be. And then I made it my call that you know what, I'll master this, I'll study, I'll, if it means going to places, meeting people, to rendering services for free, counseling rape, people, like, you know when, when you come across a rape post on Facebook and then you comment and then people start inboxing you and you sit eight hours of the morning counseling these people and then two years later someone shows up since you don't know what you did for me, this is why I am, if you were not there. So I started realizing that my gift is not just something I as I take, took it for granted and then started investing on it and making it a point that it shifts from just being something that I keep with me. And then I started registering my company called Gunwane Solutions so that now it becomes formal and I, I connect with that. So I started contacting companies because now I had to take my background and my environment in the sales, how sometimes it got toxic. And then I realized that sometimes companies don't go under because people are, are, don't have skills. Sometimes the energy in the space contributes. But now, who is there to address those things, that part, that core part of our lives? And then they made it my mission. Mm, that's a really, really interesting journey. And, you know, you touch on so many things that I, I would love for us to, to talk a bit more about. Um, okay. The, the first thing is around, you know, you being a, a mom when you were still a teenager. Um, and obviously that is a very, very big moment in anyone's life becoming a parent. And it becomes even bigger when you're just a teenager. You know, you're still a baby yourself. Um, and now you have to take on this responsibility of firstly trying to figure out what this parenting okay. thing is, how to raise a child, but also dealing with all of the numerous issues around societal pressure and the judgment that comes with being firstly a young mom and being an unmarried mom. Um, and there's a lot of trauma that goes, you know, undetected when we're talking about teen parenting. What what were some of the experiences that you had and how have you been able to to navigate and heal from that and through that experience? I will tell you about the pregnancy first. The pregnancy itself, I'm grateful because I went to school until my last month. Mm. And I'm sure it was just the last week before the school closed where my grandmother said, you know what, no, 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 you must stay home just in case anything happens. Mm. But the scar was after the after the birth. First, I it was a cesarean section. Mm. I never heard of something called breach until that Monday morning, when I went to hospital for checkup, and then I was told you were supposed to have delivered this baby on Saturday, and then my sister had to quickly rush and fetch my grandmother so that she can sign papers for the for the operation because mm. I'm underage. Mm. The healing of that operation, I remember standing at Butterworth Hospital. I still remember even to this day, I said to myself, I will never, ever have a child again. And guess what? I never did. Mm. <laughs> yes, it was trauma talking and the pains talking. Mm. But I think it was more of a prophecy from my side. 
And the worst, now, you remember, I'm, I, I, it was June holidays when I delivered. I delivered on the 1st of, 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 of July. So mm-hmm. when I, after, when the schools opened, my grandmother said, you are going back to school. You are not going to miss this year. That is the kind of man I had as a pillar. My mother, my, my grandmother on a paternal side. So I went back to school. Guess what? As a young teenager, nobody has ever told me about breast pads. Mm-hmm. Imagine during class, you can hear, you can feel your breasts forming. And you can actually feel the milk coming out. Now, first thing, what is that I have to do so that I leave class? I need a quick excuse as to how do I leave class so that I can go to the toilet. I quickly came up with an idea, ran to the toilet and had to squeeze them. Mm. That was the most traumatic moment. And then I had to gather myself so that when I go back to class, I pretend as if nobody's aware of my situation. Fortunately, that I had a pullover. So the pullover managed to cover the front part of my uniform though it was completely wet. Mm. So on that day, a lesson came, okay, now I need to have breast pads. I'm in, a, I'm in rural areas. Where am I going to find breast pads? So I had to take a cloth with a plastic. Oh my gosh, Sisha. Mm. Yeah, you have an idea. You have an idea. Mm. And the waking up in the morning, eight hours, like we didn't have pampas, we had Claudina. You have to wake up, wash the nappies, because my grandmother is looking after the child. There was no nanny at the time. So by the time I leave before school, I need to prepare everything so that my grandmother doesn't have to run around. Mm. When I come back from school, I don't do anything. The baby's already crying, wanting my attention. I need to attend to him. By the time it's time for me to settle down in the evening, I can barely cope. And in the morning, again. But for some apparent reason, you know, there are certain parts of our lives which we don't realize the capacity in us, there's a resilience, the self-sufficiency, because there are, there are lessons that just popped up out of nowhere, do this here, no, 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 if you do this there, it's gonna come up like this. So I had to integrate quickly and find navigation way as to, I don't want to burden my grandmother, I don't want my son to sound like a burden to me, and I don't want to miss my, my classes. And guess what, I didn't fail, I came position three. Mm. Because at the end of the day, I had to take ownership and responsibility of the situation. I am still going to have to make excuses. The father is nowhere to be found. I don't even know whether he is interested or not. The only thing I know is that he denied the child. Mm. And then I said to myself, my focus now is my studies, my son, and moving forward. Now, the other thing that, you know, we we often and particularly we see this a lot on social media um, and it's usually uh, used or comes up when people are being shamed for their behaviors. When we speak about absent fathers, absent parents, right? Um, For some reason, mm, for some reason, we are living in a world where the victims of absent parents are the ones who are shamed for the parents being absent um, and they, their behaviors being attributed to a very real trauma that exists within children who have to kind of navigate life with absent parents or parents who are not present, either physically present or emotionally or psychologically present. 
Can you talk us through what that impact is like dealing with abandonment and neglect um, in your child and parent relationship? You know, absolutely. I will tell you about myself. I would say, even today, I'm still grateful to my grandmother because <clears throat> I didn't focus on the absent person because I realized that I would deprive my, my son of myself, my presence. Because now I'm feeding from the absent father and he is feeding from me. So the toxicity will transmit to him. So for me to be available as far as I can for him, let me be present the only way I'm able. I think that's the first point that I did. Now, coming to the, to, to, to the public, the current situation we're sitting with as South Africans, even other countries most likely, is that the pregnancy, which is something that happens after, you'll, if you note, males always focus on the sexual part and the pleasure of it, not the after results of sex. I will tell you, I, recently I had a, a counseling session with a client of mine going through with the same thing where they, they, she broke up with the baby daddy. One thing that stood out is that males think we trick them. And my problem with this perception of males thinking women trap, trap them is that when you enter a bedroom without protection and you leave it to a, a, a woman's or a female's responsibility, what happens in your mind? Because I'll tell you now, by virtue of you entering a bedroom with no protection or not having a conversation about that part as to if we enter into this without protection, are you on pill, are you on this, are you on that? And then, obvious, there are end results. So when the end result happened, the male chose to take flight because, unfortunately, the general norm in our homes has been left with women, that women must raise children, and the emotional responsibility thereof has been placed in women's shoulders. And the sad part about this is that with time, we develop generational patterns and cycles of abandonment, neglect, and, and rejection. And as we are trying now to bring back the dignity, we're doing it the wrong way because the, we are in relationships with abandoned, neglected, rejection victims. So when you, we bring each other from that context, imagine my son being in a relationship with your daughter whom she doesn't know her father. So if, like both these people are coming from this background. They're trying to make this thing that they don't even know work. Half is emo one is emotional available and the other one is emotional absent. So now, they pursue something which they think and they believe would it fits them at that particular point in time. And the unfortunate part in this whole thing is that the connection here is trauma. And their trauma is, is, is kind of the energy that they are feeding from. Hence now we find ourselves with gender-based violence because when you meet from a level of being a trauma survivor, a trauma carrier, everything that you do around that particular person is going to trigger you to a point where there's this portion of your life, who, which most likely you don't want to address. But now when you are forced to address, you don't know how to handle your emotions because you are absent from yourself. So males at this point in time, they need to go back and sit with their mothers and accept the fact that the absence of their fathers bruised them and the role their mothers at some stages 
somehow wounded them. So it's a father-child wound and a mother-child wound, which we need to address as the society. But currently, we talk about these things in the streets. And in our homes, there are no conversations. Because I'll tell you now, sister, when I got pregnant, my uncles took me to his, to his home, and he wasn't there. I was left outside. So the uncles had to go in and talk and present that one guy is pregnant. So by the time they came out, I was just told that they would write a letter and then it ended there. So now I have to carry the pregnancy and the responsibility of the pregnancy. And then there's this man who is free to go as he pleases. But now the society, again, has made men to think that the only role that they, they, they are good for in a, in a child's life is money. If, she can, if he can give you money, what else do you want? So we need to address that background that fathers in the olden days were never there. They were mothers only looking after the children. So if we want to address the absence, absent fathers, we need to start with the pattern, the cycle in our homes, and then the healing starts. Mm, 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 absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned that you're a spiritual psychologist. What does that mean? Okay. As I said to you, when the revelation came, I was shocked. I went to mm. book you and I was like, okay, now I need to understand this for me before I can actually talk or do anything about it. So I sat down and then I realized that a human nature is made of who aspect and what aspect. And as I'm, I was busy navigating, I realized that we've invested so much on who we are, on what we are, than who we are. So now, what does this, what is this has done? It has brought the gender dynamics. Hence, we've got the absent fathers, and my, like the, the responsibility of raising a child becomes a, a, a female role. Mm-hmm. So the gender dynamics comes with the what aspect of who we are. So as I was trying now to unpack most behaviors and habitual traits which humans have developed and embraced, I realized that part of our lives has been missing, which is now what makes a human being. What makes a human being is your body, your soul, and your spirit. And now I have to understand what creates the disconnect between these three, which later leads now to these immoral behaviors which have tri- are thriving leading to a number of things which affect our society. I discovered that when you have been through trauma, your psyche gets damaged. What is your psyche? Your psyche is that mainframe, where your intuitive mode, the, the circuit which now communicates between the body and the mind. So when I started now unpacking psychology from that context, it made sense to me from, from, a, a lot, from lots of things. Because as I said, I'm a rural girl. And there are things in our families which we've, we've incorporated. And there's, there are toxicities which we've, they've become part of. And there's mental health in our families which has been ignored and sidelined. And then I realized that there's this component, which is the emotional component, which now has been silenced because you, parents focus on providing the basic needs. And then as I started now downloading and unpacking and unpacking, I realized that, okay, now I understand that psychology is not just psychology. Psychology is more of a psych. And then the role of a psych into a human nature and a human behavior. So when the psych is corrupted through trauma, it affects someone's behavior. And then that's where now I realized as to 
what is my role to the society? Mm. Now we, are, particularly as black people, um, as you have mentioned, you know, come from a history that has never addressed or acknowledged or even understood um, issues around mental health, um, uh, counseling, therapy, you know, seeing psychologists, all of that stuff. Um, but, but you know, times have changed. Um, we have evolved quite a bit in terms of access to information around what therapy is, you know, the, the impact and benefits that it can have on our lives. But are you seeing a shift in terms of more black people, younger black people, older black people seeking services of of counselors and of therapists to try and deal with, address and heal from the traumas that they have experienced in their lives? Oh yes, just in July last year, I partnered with an organization called Youth Lab. They had a mental health awareness project. So what they did, they they brought in the employed youth, unemployed youth and students. So it was more of due to funding. So it was an, a month project. So hopefully we will, we will be able to bring back that project. Because one thing that stood out for me was that South Africans are becoming aware of their traumas. Now, one thing that I realized as I was engaging with these groups of different types, which is the employed, newly employed during COVID, obviously there's depression, there's anxiety. Someone will think just because you've got a job, then it makes it easy. You are excited. No, there are other things which are surfaces. So one thing that stood out for me was that the presence of psychology in South Africa is somehow cliche when it comes to us black people. Because I'll tell you this, one thing that constantly stood out in every session I, I conducted, the response would be, when I say, you do things differently, I've been to counseling sessions, but there's this thing you just do that makes me look forward to your session. And then I started paying attention to this. And then I realized that mainstream psychology is not for everyone. Mm. Yes, it is available. There are toll-free numbers and, 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 and. But now when you address us, you need to understand the point in which you're addressing me as a person. If you're dealing with my depression, you're not just dealing with depression. You're dealing with me as, an, as this woman or this young woman. But now, what has led to the depression? Because that is the end result. So one thing that I realized that is there is, there is information, there is access, but this access has got things which it doesn't cover. Yes, South Africans, the youth, for instance, is becoming aware because they, they talk as to, I, we so wish our parents can go for therapy. That's the other thing that stood out in, in some of them, that they wish they can take their parents and just before, I, just before, like around November, there's a lady who brought her mother to me. And she said to me, this morning, I love my mother and I don't want to lose her, but I think her trauma is going to kill her. Mm. So she brought her mother for counseling because she realized that part of the issues she has as an individual, as a young woman, they stem from her. And in our engagement with, with the mother, she said to me, this is the first time I've spoken about this. I'm talking to a 67-year-old sister. Mm. This person, this thing happened she was, when she was eight. She has never shared it with anyone. So imagine the, 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 the mood, the emotional component in that home. And the, child, the children want the mother's attention and they want the mother's love. And this woman has to divide herself. Obvious, 
she is gonna be there, but she will not be enough. Mm-hmm. And you find others saying, if my mother, was, if my father was here, and then you start wondering as to why would someone bring an absent parent? That is why now the absent parent comes in because there's this thing that they seek. And what now they don't understand is that you are seeking it from someone who doesn't have it herself. Like I always look for affection from my mother. And then I realize that my mother is less affectionate. The only thing she does, she gives me things. Mm. And then that's it. And then when now I was busy studying, I realized that she's not she's not being dis- dismissive of me because she wants to, she doesn't know mm-hmm. how to connect. She doesn't know how to relate. So as we make therapy accessible and like affordable, we need to understand the areas in which form a strong conversation and an area of focus. Because when you afford someone an opportunity, the least at least that person must must get after that session, it must be a relief as to, okay, now I understand why I've been thinking like this. I've been seeing, I've been seeing things this way. I've been behaving like this. So that is the primary role of my first session in all my sessions. As a result, my session, I'll tell you now, the first session between me and you is three hours to four hours because I don't want you to come for an hour, come back second day, come back the third day. And then by the time you come for the real thing, you have already exhausted yourself. So I want on that particular day, you set four hours, hours aside, like after this conference, after our interview, I've got a, a, a session with a client. So I'm going to sit with that client from half past 12 until almost half, half past three. So that is the dedication and time I give because I realize the depth of how people are affected and the intensity of their trauma. Now, one of the things that, you know, so many of us grapple with and, and struggle to, to understand um, is grief. For, for, for the most part, uh, many of us associate grief with only the loss of someone. So someone dying, for instance, we understand that there is grief that is related to that, but we still don't truly grasp how grief works. But on the other side, we don't associate grief with the loss that we feel at the end of a relationship or the loss that we feel when we have lost our jobs because of COVID um, or, or the, the grief that we feel uh, in the loss and the ending of friendships. You know, there's so many different things that we think, oh, I just need to get over this. It's not a big deal. Oh, I'm not weak. Yes. But we don't actually understand that what we are feeling is grief and how to and navigate that grief. Let me tell you this. One thing that has stood out for me is that when something happens, I will tell you about my sessions, how all my sessions are structured. If you are here for marriage counseling, or you're here for rape, all my sessions start with early childhood. The reason why they start with early childhood, I need to understand how your breast has been modeled and structured and nurtured and influenced and inspired. So with this being said, when people look at grief, they, they think it's a secondary thing. Like I always say to people, the reason why you end up with these tantrums and all these behaviors which at the end of the day, when when you calm down, you question yourself, it's because there are layers and layers of things which you didn't sit and acknowledge when they happened. You made it a point that you rush off 
So you you rushing off a situation. You didn't help yourself. Like I'll tell you now about the mother wound. I had a counseling session with this guy, and we went back and forth, went back back and forth. And then one thing that stood out was that the father was absent, and then mama remarried. So as I unpack and and as I realized that there is an element of him not realizing the damage her mother's choices did to him because she's he's holding on the fact that my mother was there let me tell you i asked him one question have you ever been told that you are selfish in your relationship and he laughed and he said why no i said no just answer me and he said to me yes and i said to him can i tell you why and he said very much so because I always wondered how because I'm doing everything. It's exactly that is a problem. That is how your mother modeled you. That when someone does something, you think it's for your best interest. But when they do something, they dismiss how you feel. And by them dismissing, decisions are made for you. The only thing you need to accept that as a child is that now the situation here is is not ideal for you we're moving you so you've been constantly moved and there's an absent father whom you met once the second time you're informed that he is late so whilst you are trying to you are trying to navigate life with your mother and an absent father but what you don't understand is the damage which happened from your mother's choices which in your view when looking after you, this is now what the same pattern you do in your relationship. Because in your eyes, when you love someone, you decide for them, you think for them, you act on their behalf. So you don't know that at some degree, these things are dismissive. So you never grieved for what, how your mother's choices affected you. Until you grieve that, you will continuously have these relationships which end up nowhere because these women are going to be tired of you bleeding in them. Mm. And then he was shocked. I said to him, you're bleeding in them. You cannot tell your mother how he, she made you feel. Now you're bleeding that feeling in them. And they don't understand as to why you do things the way you do. And you don't understand as well why you do the way you do things the way you do. Now I'm telling you today that how your mother has decided things on your behalf. Yes, in your eyes at the time, they might have looked like she was deciding things on your behalf for your own safety so for your own growth but there was abandonment again there was neglect there was rejection which you couldn't express mm. and then he was like wow and then i said to him you need a conversation with the mother and you need to grieve that mm. And, you know, you, you raise a very important point, um, the issue around being able to have these conversations with our parents, um, which is such an important part of the process of healing. You know, yes, there are some people who often speak about the fact that they can't, they don't feel safe having these conversations with their families um, because no. there is a fear around being dismissed, a fear of not being comforted a fear of being rejected when trying to have those conversations um or being told you know these are white people issues these are not black people issues so how can people um deal with that how can they prepare themselves to go and say to their parents or to their families i would like us to have a conversation about these issues one thing 
I'll tell you now is that there are so much uncomfortable conversations mm. in our families which have led to toxicity. Mm. And that toxicity has been now housed and made a family member because we are scared of addressing and confronting. Mm. This only happens when you and me have confronted our own issue. Because with this guy, I said to him, I'll take you through the conversation. Mm. Because when you go with anger, it's not going to help you. Mm. You need to sit, internalize it, and let it sink. Because all your life, you never saw it that way. For the first time, it just grew on you that it's been like this. Don't go with an accusing tone. Because when you go with an accusing tone, your mother is going to climb into defense. Mm. And when she climbs into defense, it goes, it becomes a mess. So what I would advise to do is that uncomfortable as these situations are, if we claim to be breaking generational curses, unfortunately, we need to start with generational traumas. Generational curses come from generational traumas. Mm -hmm. And until as black families, we realize the depth and the darkness of trauma in our families, then we continuously have these gatherings where come December holidays, we come to gloat as whose child is better than the other. Other people are scared of going home during holidays because they're going to be compared. So at the end of the day, there are lots of things which happen in our households so much that if it makes peace, talk about it. Mm. But don't expect acknowledgement of guilt. Talk mm. about it so that the other person knows what they do about it is not your business but you are coughing out because it's sitting on you. It's like, it's, it's part of grieving. Mm. So when you grieve, you talk about what happened. So as you talk about it with the person who did it to you, then you're releasing yourself from their bondage because as you constantly carry this resentment, you are in their bondage. So mm. they are continuing with their lives and they, it's like, after I break up, let's say for instance, I, I was still happening around my, father, my, my son's father's absence. Obvious, I would have ruined my own life because now he is married, he has got his family, he's continuing with his life, and where I am as a person and a, and a woman, I'm depriving my son of the only parent she, he has, which is now, it becomes one's responsibility that when I confront my mother or my uncle or my aunt or my siblings or my sister, it's for, it is for me, it's not for them to feel validated or for me to feel validated or them accepting or acknowledging, but for me to make peace for me, mm. if I make them aware how they made me feel at that particular point in time and the damage thereof, then I'm free. Mm. And what about for people who don't have, either they don't have any relationship whatsoever with the people that they need to have conversations with or people who maybe whose parents have passed on um, but who need to have this release? Um without having necessarily a conversation, what tools would you recommend or what ways in which, what ways are there that people can, can begin to release that trauma, get that off their chest, out of their hearts, out of their spirits and be able to begin the process of healing? That, uh, what I always advise is a journal. Like I always advise a client of mine, I said, you have to write two letters. One, your mother who is alive and the other one to your father you'll find a spot but it must be on the outskirts be it if there's a river or lake somewhere 
go there, sit there, have a moment, meditate, acknowledge your emotions, what you went through, let them come through. So when you start writing, you are not venting, you are expressing. Mm. There's a difference between the two. When you are expressing, you're making the person aware. When you are venting, you're just shouting off. So that means that at liberty to listen or not or dismiss you. But when you express, you command their attention. So now when the, the, the person is not there or is someone that, may, let's say, for instance, in the rape case, mm. you can no longer, you don't even know the person who raped you. Have this letter. And then you write, express exactly each and every detail. Because I'll tell you what, first thing in my session, I, I always tell my, tell my clients, in my space, there's no language barrier. You express the way it made you feel. You are here to give your emotions a voice. So this is where now you'll be, you'll be able to say, I am angry, I am hurt, I am disappointed, I'm pissed off, I, 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 I am tired, I, 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 I am... So th those are the things which are, forms importance because the reason why grief prolongs is because we don't give the emotions the voice and we don't name them. You don't name how the person made you feel or struggle to actually pinpoint as to what, how did this make me feel? So the moment now you go on therapy, you start knowing and being in touch. As a result, I've got a stress diary. That stress diary also helps you to connect with yourself as to today, this is what happened, and I was triggered by this, I was here, and this is what happened. So the question now in our session would be, why would that particular thing trigger you? And then you start talking on it. So basically, what you just need to do as a person, as a self-help technique, Google stress diary, you have that. You don't have to go for therapy for that. Google stress diary, and then it has got a Monday to Sunday kind of setup. It gives you dates, time, what happened, where it happened, who was there. They are different, but what they actually do, they help you map out your own emotions. Mm. And the nice part now with my clients is that you are, they are able to measure their pro own progress as to this is where I was when I came to therapy. This is where I am now, and this is where we're going with the therapy. Now, I mean, and I mentioned this in my introduction for this episode, we are dealing with pressures from all directions, right? We are living in a time where it literally feels like just when you think you can come up for air, the next thing happens that kind of throws you off your center. So how can we, what tools can we use to, to help us to stay afloat? You know, resilience is a word that often comes up when we're having conversations about people who've been able to make it through tough times. But how do you build up resilience? How do you make it through when every day feels so cumbersome and so difficult and you can't see beyond the next day? Mm -hmm. You know, the problem with that term, resilience and strong, people often mistake this as dismissing being vulnerable. Mm. You cannot be resilient without being vulnerable. Mm. You first have to be vulnerable. That means being aware of where your emotions are and let them sit with them. Because what leads to depression, stress, and anxiety is that we don't honor. So now when something happens, we've got, you, you've got this strong you that has been bombarded on you that no we're a strong woman we're a strong woman that is the society we live in unfortunately so now one of the things that COVID did was that let's reflect let's turn inwardly 
So your inward is not going to be the same thing as my inward. Mm. How you deal with your things. Now it goes back to what I was saying, that the human side. Mm. We are wired differently. And my sessions, are like I, this week, this is going to be my fourth session this week. Trust me, each client has got a model, which I need to, even though the introduction and everything, that sounds the same. But the manner in which those, those sessions are structured, I have to connect with this person and find out where they are emotionally. Then now it makes it easier for them to connect with me. Because if I leave it at them to, to, to deliver information to me, then I'm failing them. So one of, that is one of the things that I made sure that I master in my space, that I center myself when they arrive, they must plug to me. That way it becomes easier because I know the method that they came for therapy, it means that they, they are overloaded. So they are here to... To, to offload. So one of the things that we do as a society, let's stop imposing this perception of resilience and strength. Let's mm. allow people to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is not, it doesn't amount to being weak. Mm. It means you are emotionally present. You are emotionally active. So let's allow emotions to rule us and sit with them. Don't rush them. So then breathe, have a breathing exercise when you feel that there's this surge coming through which wants to overpower you. You just calm yourself, you find a safe weight which you normally have on your mind, you tap into that safe weight, and then you do breathing in five times, breathing out five times. This time, as you're doing this, you are feeding from the safe weight. I will be okay, I will be okay, I will be okay, as you're doing the breathing. So now, what? how does this help you? I always say to my clients, remove the weight control. Don't be in control of your life, manage. Because mm-hmm. the moment you want control, you're going to have depressive episodes, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to have stress. When you manage, it's easy to adapt. Mm-hmm. So when something you planned it and it doesn't go the way you planned it, you sit down and reflect, what is it that I did wrong? You, you are not the failure. What you were doing failed. When you have an episode, even if you, had, you, you have been to counseling, it doesn't mean that the counseling was a waste. It means the emotions are showing up. You need to be, like now, to acknowledge that. Because the other thing that is a problem to us is that when now the emotions are starting to show up, we cannot analyze them or understand them. So mm-hmm. we want to rush and want to dismiss. So primary role for me, don't ever dismiss your emotions. The moment they start showing up, sit with them, honor them. Mm-hmm. That's so, so important. For people, uh, Bongega, who would like to either follow you or get in touch with you um, online, where can they find you? On Twitter, which is my dominant space, because on Facebook, I had lots of things. <clears throat> I was more on Facebook when I started, but now I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's Bongindandani, the fixer. Uh, the handle is at N. Capital letter B, Boingi, Uno I E N at the end, Boingi N with an Boingi with an I E. Okay. So that's my Twitter handle, and on Facebook it's Boingi Inana Dandani. Uh, I think that for now, because I'm not an Insta person, I don't. I had to go on Insta. I have any. I don't much have much business on Insta, and my number is 082-351-1190. and my email is bindandani one seven seven at gmail dot com. Awesome stuff. Bongi, thank you so much for your time um, and for all of the incredible wisdom that you have shared with us um, on this episode. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. It meant a lot for me because it's 
those times, those crucial times. Yeah. One way or the other, we need to be working towards healing. Healing is, is a journey, not an overnight thing. But what is important is acknowledging and accepting. And the moment you acknowledge and accept, take responsibility and act. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for another episode of The Workplace Revolution with me, Sihle Bolani. I will see you again next time. Thank you.